When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. It's basketball gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's the Fratello NBA head coach Mike Fratello, color analyst with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm Jeff Phelps. And Mike, I will tell you, I've been scouring history books and websites and checking out a combination of high-scoring backcourt guys and seeing how it plays out. And because I, I think the Donovan Mitchell-Darius-Garland combination is kind of fascinating. And I found a couple of things that that you might find interesting. I hope everybody else does as well through 16 games. And and I think this is kind of skewed because Darius Garland was out and Donovan Mitchell kind of kicked up the shots a little bit. And Darius has had some games, a couple when, when Donovan was out and he's taken a lot of shots, but through the first 16 games, uh, Donovan's averaging just under 30 points a game at 29.9 and Darius at 23.7 terrific combination there, but they've taken a combined 39 shots per game so far through 16 games and real high volume shooting by, by a backcourt. That's really good. We know that. And I thought, okay, what are the two backcourts we've, we've thrown out? Everybody's thrown out Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars in Detroit. So I checked that out. The most shots they ever took in a season averaging combined was 35 shots per game. And it was when your buddy, former Cavs assistant coach, Ron Rothstein was coaching Detroit for a year. Uh, and during their heyday, Dumars and uh, Isaiah, right around 30 shots per game. And then I checked with on Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, the more recent kind of combination that everybody's talked about. And they were terrific together in Portland. Uh, Six-year stretch when their shot totals were kind of in the same neighborhood as Darius and Donovan right now. And this is the, the thing I found interesting. They made the playoffs all six years they were together when those shots were in the same neighborhood. And, and I say neighborhood, 37 to 39 shots per game, Mike. But in those six years, they were knocked out of the first round four times. They made the semis once. They went to the Western Finals once. And I sat back and I thought, okay, what does all this mean? And I guess what I'm kind of wondering, can a smaller backcourt, and I don't think they'll sustain that many shots because it's going to settle down and, and the guys will you know be playing together more often. Can you win the way you want to win with two guys in the backcourt taking that many shots and such a percentage of the shots for a team? 
Have you liked what you've seen of the two of them together? And, and can that be sustained? That's a long intro, isn't it? Well, I, I, I'm glad you did because it's been giving me a chance to run through combinations, you know, in my mind. Uh, I wonder what Dennis Johnson and Danny Ainge took as a backcourt in Boston back then. Uh, remember, they had Bird to satisfy. They had McHale to satisfy. They had Parrish to satisfy yeah. up front. Yeah, in their own right, they were a pretty good backcourt. But I would say they probably didn't come close to a combined 37 shots per game uh, when they were in Boston. I, I could be off, and I was trying to run through other backcourts in my mind. Uh, and maybe I wonder if if our laptops are smart enough if we ask them uh, highest, you know, highest number of field goal attempts by starting backcourt in the NBA – if that would produce more numbers, and were they able to win? Yeah, you, know, you think of you know Magic with Byron Scott was that one of the things? Or when Kobe came along and and you know started moving towards the peak in his career, because Magic wasn't a high volume shooting guy. He got everybody else involved and then did what he had to do, like when he would play center in the championship game when Kareem yeah. <laughs> couldn't play that night. You know he stepped his game up a little bit, Magic and wound up scoring a lot of points and getting a lot of rebounds. Um, it's a good question because I, I think it would depend on what you have up front to contribute. Uh, does your backcourt have to do that for you to stay in the game? Or are they smart enough to understand I've got a guy who can score 15 to 20 points on our front line. I have to get him involved as well. Uh, or you're going to have that battle within the team of field goal attempts. As I've said before, on one of our previous podcasts, uh, for most teams, there are generally three people that take the majority of the shots. And those three guys are guys that you can throw the ball to, that you can count on, and they know that that's part of what they're being asked to do. Uh, sometimes you have a deeper team and you might have a fourth guy that you can rely on for a lot of shots. Just think of our team. If you want Kevin Love to be involved, you better get him some shots when he's right. coming off the bench. What good is Kevin Love standing out there if you don't pass him the ball when he's open behind the three-point line? You're taking one of his strengths is facing up behind the three-point line. So you've got to get him X number of shots a game. If he takes 10 shots from behind the three-point line, he makes five of them. He got 15 points out of that guy. Um, so it's just a way to look at the chemistry and the makeup. And and can you do it? I'm, I'm sure we would find the backcourt that dominated the ball, took a lot of shots. Uh, would you count Earl Monroe and Walt Clyde Frazier? When they were with the Knicks uh, together? They may have taken a lot of yeah. shots of the New York Knicks. Uh, so I'm trying to think back, you know, as we go back in the past and, and figure out, can it be done? Yeah, I think it can be done. That's yeah. how the team is structured. You know, my, I, I like the combination, you know, and, and I love the productivity. Darius made an all-star team last year. I've been a Donovan Mitchell fan for some time. How do you make that grow? if you're J.B. Bickerstaff and, and the other guys, oh, or or do you not do anything and, and you just let it naturally play out and, and the guys figure out how they're doing? Obviously, they've had a nice start and the scoring numbers have been terrific. And again, I, I think it's a little skewed because when Darius was out with his eye injury and Donovan missed a game or two, but I, I just wonder how it develops from here. If you were running it, could you can you impose something as a coach, Mike, or, or does do, do those two guys or do the other guys, how, how does that all come together? And maybe, maybe the keywords are settle in 
to, to where it can be most productive for the team? I think the, the key thing, uh, Jeff, is are you and your staff, meaning front office management or coaching staff, perceptive enough to determine we've got what it takes? There are rosters that are together that really have what you need to win and win big, but it may not be their time right now. Sometimes you meet up with a team that's a little more mature than you are, has, have had more games with pressure on them than you have. And when you get to that playoff round, you just don't go as far. You don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals. You get knocked out the round before that. But if you don't do a lot of disrupting on the roster, if you realize, hey, we're this close from being able to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. You get there, then you're playing for the World Championship if you get past that. Are you willing as a front office, as management, as ownership to see what you have, understand you're just this far away right now and a year of experience going through the disappointment, hungry players, development taking place. Can you come back the next year and do it? Or do you try and make a move that breaks up the team and then you're not the same team anymore? And it happened I'm speaking from your firsthand experience. When we had that team in Atlanta and lost in game seven of that series to Boston, we had a lot of young guys on that team. Dominique and Doc Rivers and Randy Whitman and Kevin Willis. Um, We had one or two veteran guys who have been around a while, but they were the anchors to the team, like Tree Rollins. But we came so close, one basket away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals, And when we go back and think about it, if we just would have left that team alone, let them come back the next season, had lost by two points to that great Boston team in the seventh game, would we have been able to do more damage than going out, making changes that we did, got rid of a couple of our guys, key guys, they were glue guys, they were guys that made the team what it was, Mm -hmm. brought in talented individuals, but it disrupted our chemistry. It disrupted what our team was about. And unfortunately, we didn't go nearly as as far as the other team had. Is there any concern, Mike, if you're a coaching staff, that these guys have the ball too much, the other guys are watching them too much, or anything in, in, in that regard? Because, you know, clearly you have a guy in Evan Mobley who who is developing and is is already a terrific NBA player and going to be even better. I just wonder if there's any concern on the coaching staff's part, like, okay, let's make sure everything else clicks. Because think about, you know, like Isaiah and Dumars. They had other guys that, that they really got involved. You know, Bill Lambeer got his touches. Dennis Rodman got touches just by being Dennis Rodman and getting them himself. But, you know, Vinnie Johnson and, and the other guys, John Sally would get, would, would get the ball. And it didn't seem like they were completely the focal point even though they were a phenomenal backcourt. Is that any concern at all? Or is this good? Let's just keep this going and see how this plays out. Now, obviously, there's a concern if the ball stops in one or two players' hands. However, it's up to the coach, the staff, to figure it all out. And that's what Chuck did. You're not running plays to get John Sally a shot. You're not running plays to get Dennis Rodman a shot. I'm sure Chuck sat down with them and said, hey, look, you guys coming in with the second unit, you know, before Robin eventually became a starter. But you guys are second unit guys. We need energy. We need you to run the floor. We need you to pound the glass, that type of thing. And we got a couple guards that are pretty good in the backcourt. Lambeer is going to be Lambeer. You're not going to get Bill Lambeer 
cutting and slicing on his own through the lane. That's just not Bill Lambeer. You're going to get him stepping back very similar to what Kevin Love does best. And Lambeer was so effective doing that as Isaiah or Dumars or Vinny would come off him. He could step back. They could throw it to him and he would knock down shots with range. So I think you have to figure out what's best for your team. We always looked around at all the other teams in the league and we say, who do we like on offense? Who do we like on defense? What do, we, what do they do well? Right now, if you ask me, whose offense is tough to guard? Utah. Utah Jazz offense is very tough to guard because of the constant motion, cutting, slicing. And because of the switching in the NBA, you have to go over different guys on the floor at different times when you substitute who's on the floor for you because Utah's going to run that same movement type offense they're right at the top of the league and points scored per game they shoot a high percentage and why they're getting good looks and defenses are having a tough time guarding him so all of that is stuff that coach and staff look at in the offseason try and put together your portfolio of what you want to run and then you run what's good for your team you might like somebody else's offense but you don't have the guys that they do to run it so it's not the right thing for you 